0: I had this this gnawing fear that if i went up on stage and i bombed and it was it wasn't just because that night i didn't do well it was because i sucked at stand-up comedy and ultimately would never have a career or be successful as a comic then it would mean that like that dream of mine would be dead but if i just didn't try but always wanted to, then my dream would stay alive and, and stay fresh in my folder of dreams.
1: You are now listening to Linguini's Dough. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Linguini's Dough. Today we have Just Son, and he's, he's going to tell us about one of his biggest fears. We are in spooky season now, so that would be fun to talk about what people kind of fear.
0: Uh, so why don't you tell tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm 26 years old. Uh, I'm very tall. I'm six foot five. So people always ask me if I played basketball or volleyball or something. Um, I'm married. I've been married for five years. Uh, beautiful woman. Amazing. Love of my life. Um, I I don't know. Huge nerd. I love video games and Dungeons and Dragons and I do magic tricks i'm i would call myself a magician i don't know i like to be entertaining if i can i think that's why i what drew me to to magic is it's fun to entertain people wow wow people with you know just the simple simple card tricks and little red foam balls just that kind of stuff i just it's so easy to do and people just find it so fascinating It's, it's very rewarding um, but also like public speaking, like, you know, stand-up comedy. I've tried that. I've tried acting a little here and there. I've done, uh, podcasts. I've done YouTube stuff. So I just, uh, just anything that's like speaking and performing for other people. It's just stuff I enjoy. Um, I was a young adult minister for like four years, three years, uh, and youth pastor for like most of my teenage life, like 14 to. 20s, I was a youth pastor um for my local church. So yeah, I've just I've just always been in like a you know outgoing kind of public minded person. Yeah, I mean
1: that's that is a lot of uh, public speaking, which is pretty cool. Magic is um, I I suck at it, but it, I I agree, it's super satisfying just seeing everyone being entertained by it. Like a lot of people, are, I don't know, it's just cool.
0: So I like yeah. I like that about you about you. Yeah, I collect uh, bicycle decks, bicycle playing cards. So I have, I don't know, probably over 300 decks of bicycle playing cards. Wow. I I mean,
1: are those, is it just the material or is it just like what about them is?
0: Uh, I just, uh, the, when I first got into Magic, I was watching tutorials and one of the people that taught me a bunch of the tricks that I know or just like how to make how to be a good magician and not just like how to do tricks was uh chris ramsey he's a magician now like magician puzzle guy on youtube um i I find more people now know him for the puzzles than for the magic which is funny because he was definitely a magician when he started um but yeah he had a huge collection of of playing cards and he did a video it was like an hour-long video of him just showing off his collection And I just thought it was really cool. And I was like, man, I want to collect playing cards like that seems really cool. Plus, like, you know, I'm practicing magic, so they have like a practical use for me. Um, And after a while, I stopped opening them because I wanted to, like, keep them in mint condition. But then I couldn't do that. That was too difficult to just have them and not know what what they really look like. And, you know, some of them I could Google and find out what they looked like. But that's not the same as, like, touching them. So I started buying two of every deck, one to keep sealed and one to open and, and play with. Oh, so.
1: So, that, so that's yeah. just... I like
0: that. I like So it. when I say I have 300 decks of cards, I have 300 unique decks of cards. I have, like, over 600 decks. Shoot. So 300 yeah. are, like, the, the fancier ones. That's cool. Well, it's just unopened, yeah. that's And that's kind of, like, I don't think I... It doesn't count for me to say the whole collection because it's like, but well, those are all open. So as far as like a collecting, you don't do that, right? Like you, if you had a Funko Pop collection and you open them, you're, you're kind of like, you're not collecting. You just have a bunch of F- Funko Pops. Cool. Well, moving on. Um,
1: I know you do have two podcasts. Did you want to just briefly talk about them?
0: Sure. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been wanting to do... D podcast for a long time um but dungeons and dragons is like something that's really like near and dear to my heart and it's something i really care about um i host a game uh at least once a week uh it used to be every friday now it's every sunday and um i've been doing that for like five years so and i haven't missed a week like even one time i had coronavirus and i was like dying and i had like a fever of like 102 and I was in bed, and I still opened up my laptop and started the zoom call and told everyone to join and and hosted the game, even though I was like delirious. oh that's awesome uh, <laughs> i I really care about it so when when I was thinking about starting a d and d podcast, I was really afraid to do it because I was really worried that like it was gonna suck or it was never gonna go anywhere and I really don't that's like one of my you know that's one of my fears is like failing at something that's important to me so like I just put it off and put it off and put it off. And then finally I asked a brother and a friend if they would want to do it with me. And they said, yes. And, um, both of them privately said, Hey, I'm totally willing to record and stuff with you, but I'm not willing to do any of the backend stuff like editing or, you know, sharing or, you know, communication getting guests, doing research, like nothing. I just, I will only show up to record. And I thought I was okay with that um but then after we recorded the first episode i just felt so like abused (laughs) Mm -hmm. like taken advantage of or like i don't know like abandoned it was weird like i just had this weird emotional thing and i didn't want to edit the episode and i never really got around to i think i edited half of it um and i was just like you know what i think i just need a more supportive team and i told my brother like hey i'm thinking to ask a couple other guys if they want to do it with me. They're in my D&D group. I think I'd rather do it with them. Uh, and my brother got really mad at me and he's like, no, like, you know, if you really cared about this, you'd get it done on your own. Like, yeah, we haven't reached out to you over the past few weeks to record, but that's like, that's on you is just as much as it is on us. And like, he just really snapped at me and I was just like, okay, so no, he's like, no, you know, if you want to do this, we can do this, but like, don't make it about me. It's not about me. It's you. And so I was really deflated and really like Kind of sad and heard about it. And then, um, you know, a little while later, like three weeks ago, I asked him again and I was like, hey, man, I'm going to move on with someone else. Like it's been like months and you haven't said a word and I just don't I just don't get the feeling that you really care. And I'd rather have a more supportive team. Um, And he was like, yeah, okay, whatever. So you, you add all that. Big wait just to find out he like he really did did not (laughs) go. Yeah, I think he just the first time I called him, I think he just felt really accused, like he felt like I was blaming him for why the podcast wasn't working or whatever, and he just, I don't know, got really defensive. But then the second time, I was much more like taking responsibility, like oh, it's my fault, and. You know i just i think i just would work better with other people and and this is what i want and i understand that your boundary is that you're not going to help because you're a busy guy and like i get that and that's what i need um and he was just like okay, okay. and so i i contacted my buddies and asked them like hey do you want to do a podcast with me and they both said yes and they both committed to like a huge amount of work like art and you know you know mixing music and helping me with everything. And I was just like, wow, you guys are like full partners. Yeah, they were actually and in it for the podcast. Yeah. So now, like, we've got a team and we we workshopped a name really quickly. Um, and I was just, re- we were all just so super stoked. Just the energy and the 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 whatever. Uh, chemistry was just amazing, like, immediately. And, uh, yeah, so we created an episode and we're going to do, like, a bunch more the next time we have to record. Because, um, yeah, that's, I released it episode one and shared it around and a bunch of people were like where's the rest of the content like where's the next episode i loved it it's like ah oh okay yeah like working on it yeah i just didn't expect anyone to really listen to it um it was like yeah it's gonna be a while until anyone listens to it but i uh i shared it really authentically i think that's you know and i shared it with people i told people it really mattered to me and i was really excited about it and i was really proud that we you know got an episode done and had like a logo and uh Stuff like that. And uh, so I think people kind of tasted that energy and wanted to see what it was about. So yeah, that's that's a really long answer to say, yeah, I have a podcast called Two Goblins and a Goliath that's about uh, talking about D&D. Yeah, well, I
1: like it. I mean, I don't know very much about D&D, but I mean, just and I had a short listen to it. I'm like, yeah, they know what they're talking about. At least it sounded like to me. <laughs> so I'm glad you found that uh, set of people that works with it um okay yeah. but yeah during that you mentioned like your biggest fear which um you just want to say what that is real quick and then
0: we'll sure yeah it. so I'd definitely say my biggest fear is failure but it's it's more than just failure as like a blanket statement but like failure at something that is really important to me in the sense of like something I really care about and something I want to be successful in and yeah i can talk about why that's so scary because it's just like well why is it so scary but yeah that's pretty much it so failure at things that i i care a lot about which is a very valid fear it's
1: i mean it's it's scary when you're like oh i just felt something that i worked so hard towards so yeah um before we kind of go more direct into that fear i want to kind of see maybe what is like, what kind of stuff is just important to you in general? Like, what do you consider important in your life? Um, oh,
0: like, uh, as far as things I'm afraid of failing at.
1: Uh, kind like of. Like, I want to figure out maybe what's... So, right now, there's the fear, right? And we're going to go mm-hmm. to that in a few minutes or so. But before that, I, I was just curious, what type of things do you consider important in your life? Like, I know you mentioned your wife. She's a lovely person, yeah. you said
0: yeah i i won't yeah for for me family is like really big not my my family yeah (laughs) the one i grew up with but like the one i want to create like me and my wife and hopefully soon our future kids um i really want to be like an amazing dad and an amazing husband and just you know create the most trauma-free childhood i can and if if they do grow up with trauma, which is inevitable, something's gonna traumatize them, whether I want it to or not, be there to be supportive and and know that they can come to me for like love and healing and, and understanding uh, rather than, you know, what I had growing up. So uh, that's really important to me. Um, and then I really wanna do something that like leaves me fulfilled, like leaves me feeling like, ah, oh, I can't wait to do this again uh and also have whatever that is support me financially so like stand-up comedy or magic or you know uh what's what's the word i'm looking for you know like what tony robbins does i don't know what you call that motivational like giant uh <laughs> sure <laughs> um you know just s- something that like brings a lot of value to people but also is like a public platform i just that's the stuff that when I do it, I would do it all for free as I've done it for free for a really long time. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, if I could do that and get paid, like what a dream. Um, yeah. And then
1: D and D. Yeah, for sure. Uh, What, what, uh, it kind of makes me interested. So you mentioned that, like if you were, if you could go, um, like if you could make that, we have that audience, and you could actually like work for those kind of public places, the uh, entertainment industry. I guess, for example, Um, why do you think the entertainment industry like fulfills you? So
0: neglect was a huge part of my childhood. It that was my childhood.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: my my dad um, was always gone. You know, my parents are were married. and They're still married, and they're both still alive. Uh, I guess you know, thank God. But uh, my dad was always, he was always gone. Uh, He worked uh, in New York and we lived in Virginia. So we saw him like once a month for, I don't know, a day or two, but he was usually pretty busy during those day or two. Like he'd be on the phone a lot or, you know, he'd be um, visiting family or friends or whatever. He didn't really come to see us. He kind of like came to see my mom and. We were just kind of like a weird side thought. Um, So him coming was usually more stressful than exciting. Uh, And it was kind of like we all put on this like Broadway show to welcome my dad home. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't real at all. My dad coming home was like a Broadway show that we would put on for him. And it it wasn't really real. Like we would just pretend to be excited and pretend to be happy to see him. But it wasn't like because we're actually happy to see him. It was just that was what we're supposed to do. And my mom, she was there a lot um but she wasn't present like emotionally she was just so gone she would always be on the phone or be reading um and even when she wasn't doing anything you could just feel that she wasn't there yeah like you'd be looking at her and talking to her and you could see that she was like staring through you like she wasn't listening to a word you said and i remember sometimes as a kid like i picked up on that and i would say random things like you know yeah, and then the purple moose exploded, and I flew to the moon, and it turns out the moon really is made of cheese. And she'd be like, oh, okay, honey. And I was just like, yeah, you're not paying attention. i just walk away. Yeah, so it was just, it was really rough. Uh, I didn't know what it was as a kid. I didn't know that it was neglect. But, you know, it growing up and going to therapy, I was like, holy crap, like, there's so much neglect. Like, so much neglect. Like, I was, you know, and also, like, literal physical neglect when my mom was working she'd work a lot so she would work like all night and uh she'd come back in the morning just exhausted and then fall asleep you know on the couch or whatever and so often i had to fend for myself um yeah. my my siblings you know would they'd take care of me sometimes but a lot of them resented me because they felt like my mom saw me more than them which i guess but i mean you didn't <laughs> deserve know. resent over it. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I just feel like, I mean, yeah, no, I don't really feel like she saw me, but okay. So, yeah, so I think what that neglect turned into was when I'm on stage and people are looking at me and are obviously enjoying my existence. It's deeply fulfilling because there's this part of my, of me from when I was a kid that was just longing to be seen and to be validated and to be loved. And I just didn't get that as a child at all. And even though I'm aware of it now, like it's less impactful than it was, you know, maybe five years ago before I started going to therapy, like it, you know, I like, I would do way more, I would go way harder for it. Now it's just something that I'm aware that I like, but then it was like what I lived for. And yeah, even still, like, I just, I really love being seen. And then people saying like, I like you. And I, I would come here to see you because like my parents couldn't, obviously didn't give a, like a darn about me. Like they just couldn't, couldn't be bothered. Like, I felt like as a kid, like I felt like the more out of the way I was, the happier they were. Um, So like, you know, we have a three story house. And so I lived on the third floor so that like, they wouldn't, I'd be out of sight and out of mind, like as much as possible. Um, I remember I would go to like my neighbors' houses and just hang out with them. And they were like older people. It wasn't like I was playing with their kids. Like I'd be like 14 hanging out with like, like this 32-year-old, you know, businesswoman. And um, I'd be at her house till like three o'clock in the morning, which is wow. pretty crazy. And I remember one time I came home and my mom woke up. She was like sleeping at the, you know, entry table. I don't know what to call it, but there's like a little table by a window in my house. And she woke up and looked at me. And I was like, hey, mom. And then she was like, oh, hey, honey. And then picked up the book that she fell asleep reading and kept reading. And I just walked upstairs. She wasn't like, where have you been? Like, it's, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. So um, then I think the the reason why I want it to be more than just performance, but like performance in an, in the entertainment world is because if I became famous, my parents would be forced to know who I am. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> like they couldn't ignore my existence if i became famous then they would have to acknowledge me as other people would see them as an extension of me and would be like oh my god you're you're just dad like that's so cool like can i get your autograph can i take a picture with you not because you're cool but because your son is cool and i like him you know um so that's kind of a weird reason and i don't really feel that strongly connected to it anymore because of i done a lot of healing work, but, uh, that is, that is, I think where that all comes from is just this, this desperate need to be seen as I was so invisible by my siblings and my parents growing up. I just, and I was homeschooled. So I, like, I didn't even get a chance to like go to a public school and be seen by my teachers. It was like, I was just invisible. It's just this ghost. So you had that full child that just kind of like, you just felt all alone.
1: There, there was one yeah. more thing that I, that kind of, cause it sounds like like that, that love you get from, Like public people, like they give a lot of, um, they can give a lot of um that good feeling. However, did when you were a kid growing up, was entertainment
0: one of those escapes you also used? Oh, like uh, like D and D, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a yeah. I played a ton of World of Warcraft. I lived in World of Warcraft. I played World of Warcraft for seven years straight, and I think I have like over a year of of just straight played time or something across all of my characters. Um, I don't know. It's this absurd number. I I calculated it all up once because in my D&D group, one of the guys was bragging about how he had 2000 hours. And I was like, (laughs) I have a, I have years of play time. I lived there. I just lived there. And I, I even had like a digital mom, like this lady who she had a, some sort of bone disease where her bones would grow like spurs. And so she couldn't move without being in excruciating pain. So she just sat at her desk a lot playing WoW. And I, I, she was like my mom. Like I would log in and I would get on this old voice thing that used to exist called Ventrilo. And I would get on Ventrilo. We called it Vent. I'd get on Vent and I would talk to my WoW mom. And she took care of me. She was great. Um, so yeah, video games was a huge thing. Uh, pornography was also a huge escape and yeah d and d too but I didn't really get into d and d I played a lot of d and d as a kid like when I was like five, but I didn't really break into d and d until I was like nineteen,
1: yeah, so it was before that it was world of um i forgot what it's called world world of warcraft and then yeah, okay, gotcha, and then, okay, so let's see so that that's the stuff that's important to you that's why. Um that entertainment industry or just public speaking is something that you like, and I mean that's that's that makes sense because that's a lot of neglect that you had throughout your childhood um what about what type of things are just kind of less important to you like I don't know what what are some things that like i guess you do, but they're not as important to you um
0: my taxes no, <laughs> I don't know uh. <laughs> Things I do that are not important to me. Uh, I guess and there's not a whole lot I do that that isn't important to me. Uh, important. Just, just because I yeah, I don't know. I just don't really make time for it. Um, yeah, uh, I guess my job like, you know, I don't I don't really have a stable job right now. Like I'm I'm working online and it's kind of, you know, uh feast or famine with how that's been going but um i mean yeah if you don't have an like an answer it's it's i fair. don't know i mean i guess politics i don't care about <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: with, like, you, there. Follow with you there I'm with you there
0: anything yeah i find out about major news through memes on reddit like <laughs> i don't know like, pretty much or <laughs> i'm like what is this trending thing like it keeps coming up with this joke what is this joke and then i'll do some research and like oh i should probably should know about that huh yeah
1: yeah okay so No worries with that. So let's actually go back to that fear of felling to stuff that matters to you. Um, yeah you've mentioned like magic um like or your podcast, just stuff like that that's that's important to you. What are maybe some more examples of what kind of stuff is important to you?
0: yeah well i you know I've wanted to be a stand-up comic like really seriously um, since I was like t- thirteen um I, and I think the reason why stand up comedy was just such a thing for me is I was just naturally a pretty funny kid. Um, people are just always laughing. You know, I, I'm also really good at telling a traumatic story and making it funny. Uh, I don't do it as much anymore because I'm really, really conscious that that was a, like, um, a coping mechanism and I don't, I don't want to do that. So, like, you know, I could have made my, My neglect story today just you know an absolute joke but i just i try not to do that Mm -hmm. especially when i'm trying to be authentic and and honest but yeah as a as a kid i would i remember telling people all kinds of just horrific stories about my life and people just like literally in tears laughing like just just so funny i remember i was at a um like a workshop like a camp thing we did for these these kids in our in my faith um in new york it was up in Barrytown. there's this university this old university that we have up there so we, we rented it out for this winter workshop thing and i was giving this story about how you know i attempted suicide and failed and people were like in tears from crying and in tears from laughing like flip-flop 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 like constantly throughout the story And just so many people came up to me and they're like, I don't know how you do that. Like you're, you're like ripping my heart out of my chest and then you turn around and you make me laugh about it. And it's just like, it's such a bizarre technique of communication. And it's just, I think that's just, I, I felt like I couldn't get people's attention as a kid unless I was making them laugh. Like I felt like they weren't really present unless they were laughing. So I would tell them. You know, my painful stories are just stuff that I needed to talk about as a joke. And they would listen and they would remember because it was funny and they would ask me to tell it to someone else. And so it was this weird way of being seen. And um, I really enjoyed being seen. So <laughs> uh, comedy just seemed like something I wanted to do. And I wanted to be I wanted to go into stand up comedy, but I didn't because I had this this gnawing fear that if i went up on stage and i bombed and it was it wasn't just because that night i didn't do well it was because i sucked at stand-up comedy and ultimately would never have a career or be successful as a comic then it would mean that like that dream of mine would be dead but if i just didn't try but always wanted to then my dream would stay alive and and stay fresh in my folder of dreams and i could always say yeah that's something i thought of doing and then give a bunch of logical reasons why i didn't like oh it's too unstable or you have to travel too much or blah 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 but the real thing is like i just didn't go for it because i was just just terrified of what if i put in all this effort and really went for it like authentically gave it my my 100% and then it turns out I'm not that funny. Like that would just be devastating. And I felt like I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to recover from that. And I feel like my, I, I, I spent so much time in this fantasy world in my head that, you know, like that world was almost more valuable than this one. And I didn't want to give up the fantasy of being a comic or knowing that I could, if I, went out into the world and the world told me, no, you can't. So, yeah, I was, I i did a bunch of stand um, throughout my teenage life and it always went really well, but I finally got offered like a real opportunity to go to like a real comedian place. I, I just turned 18 and I met this guy and he was like, Hey man, you know, you got to come and open for me. And yeah, I'm getting kind of emotional. Just. <laughs> So he, uh, yeah, he's, you know, he got to come open for me. And I told him I'd do it. And I I drove to the club. And I was outside. And uh, he called me. He was like, hey, man, I uh, hope you're here soon. Like, you know, you're going up in five. And then uh, I just bailed. I got back in my car and I, I left. Wow. Yeah, and I never told anyone about that. Hey. <laughs> it was just i just just pretended like it didn't happen and uh you know he didn't call me after that i'm sure he was probably pretty upset uh as he stuck his knockout for me to to get me to open at this club it was like a real a real place um so it wasn't like you know no sweat dude it's just an open mic night it was like it was real yeah um yeah and i just ran away and it was just it was just too scary i was just. I was just too afraid that if I went up on stage that night and I was in front of real strangers, cause every time I had done standup before it, like at least half the audience knew me intimately. Um, and the other people knew me as acquaintances. So I feel like there was this agreement that just is a funny guy. And so, you know, or we love just so let's laugh, even if it isn't funny. But if I go up in front of strangers, adult strangers that you know are gonna be honest i'm gonna have to deal with hecklers like i'm not ready for this like and i ran
1: you were just turning 18 so have you have you done anything for stand-up comedy
0: since that moment nothing like professional or even you know like i've done uh, i was at some church thing like a bunch of pastors and stuff were me having this big meeting and there was probably like two hundred people in the room and the MC was just stalling for time and just just sweating his ass off. He was just so nervous. And the person who was supposed to come up on stage next was was missing and they were looking for him and he was just like not okay. <laughs> and I could see that and I just walked up and I took the mic and I just started doing stand up. And uh yeah, they were like, holy crap, like we got to hire you to like do this professionally. You now it's just like, yeah, nope.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I <laughs> had that opportunity. I want to, I want to, um, there's some details in there I want to kind of go over. When you, because I feel like it's super important. Like I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I feel like with all these success stories, you just hear people saying how they failed. I mean, in this instance, you were actually given the opportunity, but instead uh, declined it while also when you were right there. Um, which is something that I find interesting. And I mean, you were 18, you were young and then the coping mm-hmm. mechanism, that's something I also wanted to talk about is, was it like a, like, I don't know, was it dopamine you were getting when you would do those? Um, and then, I don't know, like you said, it, it really is people, they laugh about their problems and like in, within moderation, it's fine. However, you said it was like an actual like coping mechanism for you to just kind of laugh your problems away?
0: Oh, well, by a coping mechanism, I don't mean that like, for me, it was, you know, somehow it, it, didn't, it wasn't beneficial for me in any way to tell my story as a joke. It was just the only way I knew how to communicate because at some point as a kid, I learned that if I was funny, people looked at me. So what I mean by a coping mechanism is what I had to say was, was really painful and i couldn't be honest with how painful it was because that would mean feeling the pain and i really didn't want to feel that pain you know the pain of being forgotten you know i i would tell a story about how my i eventually started going in high school i started going to high school I finished homeschooling because i just wasn't homeschooling i was just playing world of warcraft and my mom realized that it wasn't homeschooling i was just playing world of warcraft and she was too absent-minded to like see over me and make sure I did my work. So she sent me to high school and in high school, there were so many times where she forgot to pick me up. It was like this little private high school. So there was no school bus. You had, to, you had to pick up and drop off your kids and she would just forget about me. And I told, I told a lot of people about that, but just, you know, as this joke and I I would make it funny in some way, like, you know, that I would, I want not know. I'd make something like, Oh, well, she doesn't, you know, She didn't she didn't want me or she maybe she was hoping someone else would take me home to their home or whatever and that'd be their problem. Or, you know, I I would just I would in some way twist it. But really what I wanted to share is I feel devastated that my mom forgot that I existed to the point that I've been waiting at the school for three hours. And then one of the teachers drove me home. And when I walked in the door, almost in tears, my mom was just kind of like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, what do you mean, hey, what's up? You forgot me at school. You know, like the the principal's assistant drove me home, and she's like, oh, huh, huh, my bad. And it's just like, how do you forget about me like that? And you said it like, was on how a frequent just... basis? Yeah, that kind of stuff happened all the time. So it's just like... You know, and I got numb to it, eventually, being forgotten at school, I prepared for it. I would start asking teachers, hey, if my mom doesn't come, would you be able to take me before the school was empty and I was just standing outside by myself? Like, I just, you know, adapted to it, but it was devastating, but I didn't know how to let that pain through as a teenager, um, nor did I want to. I, You know, I thought, like, being in pain was bad, and so I would just bottle it up and I would try to express it in some way, so it's almost like the comedy was a way of acting out. It was like a way of getting the emotion out there without being vulnerable. Because if I was vulnerable and I cried and I really bore my heart to someone, bared bared my heart to someone, and they didn't pay attention in that moment, that pain would have been so much more, and I wouldn't have been able to handle that. And so I was just like, "Yeah, I'm just going to be funny because at least they'll, you know, at least someone will hear me." At least I won't be like invisible speaking into the void at least this person will be engaging with me in some way and in some way my pain will be acknowledged even though I'm pretending that I don't really care about what happened so I think that's what I mean by coping mechanism it wasn't like I used laughter as a way to get off or like it was fun for me it was just it was an automatic response to the pain that I was in
1: yeah and at the, what, you mentioned you've, you've started going like to therapy. When did you start yeah. going to therapy?
0: Um, I think it was like 2019, maybe 2018, um, maybe the end of 2018. I'm not sure. I think I had, I had two different therapists. One was absolutely garbage. That's something I learned, uh, you know, it's like some people think like, oh, I tried therapy and it didn't work for me. Well, what I learned is that, um, not all therapists are created equal just because they have a degree doesn't mean they're. Qualified to be a therapist, I think it's kind of like not all chefs are Gordon Ramsay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I had an awful therapist who just wasn't listening to me at all. She was like, she saw herself in me, and she was just like, I know what you're doing, I know what you're up to, and she just like would talk over me and just be like, yeah, 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 I know, I know what this story is. I've, you know, I've seen it a million times. Here's what you need to do, or whatever. And it's like that's not true. Or she, she would give me advice. It was just like, I, I can't do that. And. Yeah, then i got another therapist and he was like holy crap like she sucked and yeah i really hit it off with that guy and uh, he's an amazing therapist and i did a lot of work with him but i think on top of that i just um i've always been into like trying to understand psychology um of myself and others it's just kind of naturally i was inclined to learn about that kind of stuff and i did this course called the landmark form which is really good at like helping you see into your blind spots. So like areas where you're driving your actions and motivation, but you're unaware that that's really where it's coming from. So like I had already gotten a lot of training from that course in like how to see what's driving my action. But therapy was what made that really click in a way that like gave empathy to it and gave me space to like, Rather than just looking, oh, oh, I, I really do this because I want attention. Okay, how can I recreate that to be more effective? It's like healing the pain that's behind the wanting more attention, you yeah. know, and like love, loving myself and giving my space, myself space to feel abandoned and feel unloved and feel neglected And and in process by doing that, it like heals it and it just kind of lessens until it goes away. Just by getting present to what's going on under, underneath the hood, you don't actually have to like change it. You just feel it. And it, for me, at least, maybe as other people it doesn't work that way. But for me, it definitely has worked that way. And you can do you consider yourself more vulnerable? I can't even say the word, but vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, now. Yeah. 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 Of course. Um, I think that's something else I've been really committed to. I've been really committed to to being authentic, uh, and being honest as much as possible. And, uh, I'm, I'm okay at it. I'm all right. It's a process. Uh, It, it really works, uh, in a lot of cases. Um, you know, when you're really honest, like truly, truly honest, it's not like as a technique to get something, but like when you're just really honest to be, to be honest, uh, people pick up on that and their response is really different. Also when you're listening to other people, I think, I think really what I've learned is listening, how to listen to myself and how to listen to others in a way that really leaves me understanding what they're going through.
1: Yeah. Not everyone's really you know. good at uh, listening to others, but I think they understand what that is. What do you think listening to yourself
0: is? So I think there's, there's intuition. So often your intuition will kind of tell you like, Hey, this is a bad idea. And you ignore it because you don't like it either. doesn't make sense. Like I don't get that. Like sometimes intuition can be something really basic. Like don't say that. And you're like, uh, was didn't your mom have a miscarriage? And then like the girl starts crying and storms out of the room. And you're like, ooh, okay, I should have listened to my intuition. <laughs> I don't know what I touched there, but obviously something really bad. Um, or it's something really weird. Like I park in a parking spot. This really happened, and my intuition said park somewhere else. And I was like, I lo- I literally looked around me, and I was like, why? <laughs> there is no reason to not park here. But I parked there anyway, and in the morning, someone totaled my car. Like They crashed into my car and ran away. Uh, My car was like mangled. And it was just like, holy shit. (laughs) All the other cars on the street were fine. My car was mangled. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, I don't know what what that is. Maybe it was completely random, or I don't know, but I'm just saying. So intuition, I feel like that's one part of listening to yourself and just kind of like just listening to what you need. And then there's also listening to yourself in a sense of like kind of like and i'm not i don't want to say meditative but like getting quiet and kind of figuring out like what's going on underneath my surface like what am i feeling what's what's happening right now and kind of just getting present to yourself and listening to yourself and yeah something my wife says all the time is like she can feel when people are talking but they're not present like not even present to what they're saying yeah and so i feel like yeah like listening to yourself is like Really being present for what you're saying and what you're doing and what's going on underneath your surface, and trying to really do what you're, what you, what's healthy and real for you, rather than just like kind of that automatic response that we've kind of have as we all have as humans to so just kind of the next thing, the next thing, the next thing.
1: Yeah, I like that. It it really is important to listen to that. I mean, you had your car literally totaled, so it is very important listening to that. Um Let's see let me uh do you do you um it, it doesn't sound like you have anxiety, but just because maybe I don't know, I just noticed because that failure is something that you really do fear. Mm. so I don't know, do you have anxiety or like just anxiety towards that failure? Yeah Um,
0: anxiety is for the anxious no I'm just kidding uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have I have all these fake quotes that are from my quote-unquote dad oh gosh like, they're not really they're not really things he said they're things that are, random things i've thought of that i say but then when people yeah. are like what is that i'm like oh my dad my dad said it dad, yeah humility is for the humble um yeah i don't know Anx- anxiety is not really something i struggle with um and my fear of the thing is more of like a sense of like it doesn't leave me second-guessing myself. It just leads me to inaction. Like, oh. I will just come up to some, some reason to not do it, um, some justification, or I'll just freeze. But I don't have this kind of, like, anxious, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Or, oh, like, it's like, I don't overthink it. It's just, I just don't do it.
1: Yeah, that that, that <clears> helps <throat> me understand, because um, it's just you don't end up doing it, because what if you do fail? Um, are there any examples of types of things that have happened in your life where you failed a lot and then you finally like clicked and it it went well? I guess I guess and and it's important to you.
0: Mm-mm. I'm sure I'll think of something. Yeah. In general, I I don't pursue the things that I'm afraid to fail at. Like with magic, it was just kind of something I wanted to do. And there's an interesting thing there. Like, I got really good at it. Like, I was learning at least in one new trick a day, if not more than that. And for, like, a good six months, like, I was just, just ravenously consuming magic and just learning everything. And I was so into the world and the community. And then I hit a wall where there was this this skill level, the next step of, like, where sleight of hand became real. Like... Like, it's really hard work that you actually have to practice, and there's no trick to it. It's just hard work and effort and consistency, and there's a real chance for failure. All the magic tricks I do have, like, a 99.99% success rate. Like, the only way you you can fail is if you, like, drop the cards. Um, They are not sleight of hand. They are, you know, magic. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but they're not real sleight of hand. Where, like, real sleight of hand is, like you put the card in the middle of the deck but then you do a movement that slings the card out of the middle of the deck and puts it on top right in front of the person you're doing it for and they don't see it um that stuff takes like i don't want to say hundreds of hours of practice but like at least five hours of practice (laughs) (laughs) and what happened was i was watching this tutorial um one of chris ramsey's buddies, he was promoting, he's like, go watch this guy's channel. And so I'm watching this video and I'm like, holy crap, what is he doing? And I keep watching the tutorial and then I practice it. And I'm like, this is not like the other tricks. Like I, I, oh my God, like, this is really, really difficult. I'm going to have to practice this a lot. And then this fear of like, what if I can't get it right? Like, what if I practice it and practice it and never learn how to do this? Or what if my hands are just not capable performing this feat? And I stopped learning that day. I think that's interesting because it's, it's not the
1: same scenario as when you uh, bailed from that stand-up comedian place. Yeah. But it's similar. It's like you were getting those skills that, like if you want to be a yeah. magician, this is where you start getting those. Yeah. This is like skills. the real deal. Like, yeah.
0: This is the stuff that like, you, know, you go on America's Got Talent and they're like, oh my God. Or you go to Penn and Teller Fool Us and they're like, we don't know what you did like it's like the real deal stuff and i panicked and ran away um because it was like magic had become something really important to me and i was just like oh no i don't want to i don't want to mess this up like this is this is legit really complicated like oh my god
1: this actually also brings me some curiosity so you you ended up starting that dungeons and dragons podcast and you said like when you're with your brother that you had this um you're like you know, like for so long, you just prolonged it because you were afraid of uh, failing at the podcast. Um, so how did you end up getting that past that block and
0: making that first episode? The word that comes to me is I gave up. I don't know what I gave up, but I gave up something. Yeah, I don't know. I gave up something. I don't know what that means. Um, but yeah, there was something that I gave up that let me do it. I think it was. I gave up success and I just wanted to do it for fun. I think that's what happened. It was you know, with with my other podcasts that I do for my church, it was super easy. Someone someone reached out to me and asked me if I would do an episode with him, and then, you know, he loved me so much. He's like, Hey man, can you be my co-host? And so that's how I became the co-host on that that podcast and it wasn't mine to fail at. So that was one thing, but also like, I knew that it was never going to become something that would potentially achieve one of my dreams, like becoming a famous performer, because the content was so niche that after we had an audience of like 400 people, that was like most of the people (laughs) like, you know, it's age range is like 18 to 30. Something is our audience. And of those members in our, our movement that speak English, there's like a couple thousand of those guys. And everyone else is much older or much younger. So I was like, we've got half of everyone. Like, you know, like, you know, we can't monetize this. Like, and also I wouldn't want to throw ads in the middle of this. Like, this is something that we do is like kind of like a public service. Like, I just, I wouldn't want to do that. So I just, you know, so with the D and D thing, I think it was just this moment where, I realized that i just wanted to do it because i wanted to do it and i wasn't really of course i wanted to be listened to like it's not that you know i don't care like of course i want it to be seen um because that's fulfilling it's nice to like create a piece of art and people to enjoy it it's like it's almost as important as the creation process i feel yeah. If there's like a museum on the moon with all the most amazing art, but no one could ever go visit it, it'd be kind of pretty worthless. Like, um, so yeah, of course I want it to be seen, but it's like I wasn't doing the podcast because I, it was going to become my success story. Like, I was doing the podcast because I wanted to do it for fun. I'm sure, like, you know, if it let's say we do it for the next few years and then eventually it grows an audience and eventually people, you know, enjoy it to the point that we have, you know, a sponsor reaches out to us. And then I'm sure my fear <laughs> will come back. <laughs> yeah. Be like, Hey man, you better quit while you're ahead. Like, um, but hopefully I'll have it tackle by then. <laughs> I've already been doing a lot of work on it intentionally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Me and my wife do this thing where when something triggers us, you know, some sort of emotional whatever from our past, um, rather than running from it, we like lean into it and try to figure out what's there and what's going on, which is really painful and really difficult and very exhausting. But it uh, definitely worth it. So, yeah, I've been working on my fear of failure um, around money, around being like, being successful financially, um, and I've had a lot of success there. And it was just by just relentless digging of just doing searching and searching with my wife and just trying to figure out like, why am I so afraid of this and this area? So I feel like that's why I can, I have so many insights around it right now. It's just because over the past like month or so, I've just been really fighting to figure out what's stopping me around this fear. Yeah. And yeah, there was all that stuff about, you know, needing validation on wanting to be seen and, and then feeling this, this unworthiness. Of all of those things that I want, because I don't deserve it. Like, my own mom doesn't love me. Why Why should you? Like, why should someone give me their money? And money for a lot of people is wrapped up in self-worth, which is connected to love. So it's like, if you feel unworthy of love, a lot of people feel unworthy of money. And that was definitely an emotional correlation that was going on for me. And so it was just feeling of, like, profound unworthiness. Um... And so it was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't deserve a good-paying job because I am worthless, not because, you know, I don't have the qualifications. Oh boy, do I know from working in the real world that plenty of people get jobs they are unqualified for. So, it's for sure. Qualifications, yeah, qualifications are not what get people jobs. Uh, it's it's more about who you know than what you know. But yeah, so I was just like, yeah, um, why is it that I won't pursue? a job that can afford me the life that I need slash want. Um, it's because I feel like I'm not worthy of it. So I keep going after jobs that suck, that don't pay enough because I feel like, yeah, that's what I'm worth. It's really interesting. I think that kind of, kind
1: of like it's important to you, the podcast and, um, but it's like not as important. Like it's a hobby, which I think is, which sounds like a, a, a big difference to you. Like D and D it's a hobby for you. I mean, I think, yeah, in this... do
0: you... <laughs> but also I take I take my D&D group way too seriously. Like uh, people, my, my group is like afraid to cancel on me because I will hunt them down and be like, why are you not coming? What's happening? What can I do to get that out of the way? Like someone's like, oh, I'm going to a wedding. I'm like, OK, well, where does she live so I can make this wedding stop? <laughs> like, <laughs> you will be there this Friday. Like, um, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's been, it's been, it's it's pretty absurd, my commitment to having my D&D thing happen. It's not about because I love D&D so much. It's really just because like, it's like the one consistent thing in my life and I don't have a lot of like guaranteed consistency. So it's like this ritual that I just really feel safe and comforted by the same thing happening every week. Yeah. I fear, I fear I might be autistic in that way that it's, it's way too comforting, but, ah. Yes,
1: D D, the one time of the um, week.
0: Yeah, the one time of the week where I know you know this this is, this is gonna happen. Like everything else is you know a question, but this is the one thing I can guarantee will will happen.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Um. Do you think? Do you think that in society there's this this pressure that you got to succeed?
0: I think definitely in like Western culture, like in the United States and probably Europe and Australia and Canada, but, um, I don't know if that's everywhere, but yeah, certainly in the United States, there's this thing of, you know, your life. Well, one, it's the the definition of success. And most people look at that financially, like if you've made a lot of money, um, then you're successful. And so there's this kind of this thing of like, you got to be successful by making a ton of money. And Um, you got to do it as quickly and as soon as possible. And so I feel like there's this thing. and, And then now I feel like with our, our generation, I feel like there's this thing of like, and now you've got to figure out how to make a ton of money and also do that while doing the thing you love so that you don't have to work. Like if you love what you do, then you'll never work a day in your life or some BS like that. So it's just like, yeah, that's not a lot of pressure thanks like yeah so it's i think there's there's a ton of a weight from this societal pressure of like you know if you're happy doing doing some job that is enough to cover your expenses um safely like you know you've got health insurance and stuff then you know and you you're happy with your family and and your life it's kind of like a wasted life like you know like oh you didn't do anything like you didn't have an an impact you've got to have you know you've got to be like the top one percent which is just really weird and unrealistic because it's like well most of us will never be the top one percent we can't if we're all the top one percent then who's Then not saying that someone needs to pick up our garbage i'm just saying that it just doesn't
1: work Yeah, there's a reason it's
0: the top one percent. It's not. Yeah, like some of us will get there, but mathematically speaking, most of us won't. So it's like, why why do we all have to fight for this thing that most of us will never have? Like I just feel like it's a recipe for failure. Like, but it's kind of what we're all kind of told that we got to do. We gotta gotta be rich. Gotta go be rich. Go be rich. Some of us are lucky in the sense that we're born already rich and don't have to worry about becoming rich so i I guess life is pretty pretty stress-free for those guys but um yeah so i feel i feel there's a lot of pressure around this go be successful and not your definition of successful my definition of successful
1: which is not a very healthy definition of successful oh what's your definition of successful speaking of this
0: i feel like it would for me it would just be like having a really loving like, happy family. I, I want I want my kids to, you know, be able to come up to me and be like, Hey, Dad, I had a really hard day at school. Um, But also, in order to create that kind of relationship, I feel like I've got to be the parent who sits down with his kid and goes, Hey, kid, how was school? And when he's like, It was fine. I'd be like, How was it really? Yeah, And just really be there for him. Because, you know, my mom technically asked how, how was school every day. And I would just say, Fine. Even... Even the days that you know I got beat up and and was suspended, like, well, I didn't really get beat up, but I, I beat up a lot of kids in school. But still, like, <laughs> the, the days I got suspended, she often didn't know because I just didn't tell her. And then, you know, she w- I would pretend to go to school, and then she'd go to work, and then I just come back in the house and play World Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, like I I feel like I really want to have like that kind of a house where there's just the safety, like mom and dad are safe. And the kids just feel like mom and dad are like really cool. And, um, yeah, just they know that they could talk to us about anything and that we'll be there for them. And I want my wife to feel really loved and and really valuable and kind of sacred and well taken care of. And, um, I want to give my kids whatever they want. So I guess that means I have to have a certain amount of money (laughs) to be able to. Give them whatever they want. I know a lot as a kid there was there was so much that we just didn't have because um despite having a big house, uh it was it was given to us by my my mom's mom. My grandma gave us this house, so like we didn't really couldn't really afford it. So it's like my mom often we didn't have money for like most stuff. Yeah. So it was I I didn't bother me so much. My one of my brothers, it, it bothered a lot, and now he's like working you know day and night to like become wealthy so that he never has to say no to something he wants again but for me it's it's just like yeah i just want to be able to give my kids whatever they want so like i want to go to disneyland it's like when not if Mm -hmm. you know
1: i like um that's that's really i i think that's also what's important um i mean i don't i personally don't plan on having kids however i want to be that cool uncle that gives that love to my nephews where they can just come to me and be like yeah, I had a terrible day at school or yeah, today was great. So, I really like what your definition is. Thank you. Um I think for the most part, uh since we're reaching a little bit over an hour, um do you want to add anything else before we close off?
0: Um yeah, uh therapy is not for the broken. <laughs> uh I I feel like a lot of people have this idea that like, oh, therapy is you know for crazy people or it's for like super depressed people i feel like no man um trauma doesn't have to look traumatic in the sense that uh just something can be deeply troubling for you in a way that you're completely unaware of um that is stopping you or pushing you in a lot of directions that you don't want to be stopped or pushed in that you don't know and um working with a therapist if you can. I know it's it's it can be really expensive. I got really lucky and found a therapist that I could afford, but um I think a lot of people have this stigma kind of like, oh if I go to a therapist, it means like, you know, I'm broken or I'm crazy or I'm I'm dumb or I'm needy or something like that. But it's like, nah man. Like there there's so much stuff that happens in our lives and you know, as adults and when we were kids, there's all kind of things that are traumatic. You know, um, I, I knew this guy who his dad put him and his puppy in the dryer and turned it on and the puppy died and he was severely burned. But, you know, he still he didn't hate his dad. And I feel like I hated my dad and all he did was not be around. So I feel like trauma is very specific and something really little like your mom you know didn't cut the crust off of your sandwich can be something devastating that tells you like oh yeah i'm unlovable um and you start going throughout your life as unlovable even though it was just your mom didn't cut the crust off your sandwich that day and it wasn't you know she was just on the phone and forgot like it wasn't a thing it didn't mean anything but we made it mean something huge and you're completely unaware that that happened um or something horrific happened like you were taken advantage of sexually by a loved one and repress that memory or, or just still dealing with it and thinking, Oh no, I'm fine. But I turned out fine. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure you did. And you could totally benefit from doing work in that area and, and healing. Um, there's, there's, it's never too late to heal something no matter how long it's been um, or how many times people have told you to get over it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Get I agree. And then you mentioned earlier too, like not every therapist works. Some are absolute garbage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. If you feel like you're not clicking, just get a new therapist. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so yeah, thank yeah. you t- for being a guest on this episode of Linguini's Justson. Justin. Um, it was, I was, you were honest about everything and I really appreciate that. And it really, um, it just made this flow better. And um, it, I think like, I feel like I know some people that also have this fear and have never admitted it. When you just talked about it, I'm like, I know someone. He like puts that effort. He gets so far into it, and then he just kind of stops. Sizzles. And so now I think maybe he has that fear, and I don't know. I'll talk to him soon and be like, "Yo, I don't know." Not not accusing anyone. I'm just curious. No, you're <laughs> good. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so yeah. much. That was um, a really open fear that I feel like a lot of people struggle with and just don't know. Um, it's it. It's just something so small. Well, not small, but like, like it. It might. It's easy to skip over if you don't realize it's there. So, thank you so much. Um, we're gonna move on to the next piece of
0: dough. we're now moving on to our next piece of dough.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, that was a ton of fun having Just Son on this uh, podcast episode talking about his fear. Uh, I have Ethan with me on call right now, so I just thought I'd ask him. um, Do you think, Ethan, do you think you have any, how do I phrase it? Do you have any fears of like something you like or passionate about? Do you have any fears of not or stopping doing it because it because you care about it and you don't want to fail at it? Um... Yeah, that was too generic. What are you passionate about? Um, uh, basically baseball. Mainly, baseball. Mainly baseball. I've been focusing on, like, yeah, baseball a lot. Do Playing you, it every day. Do you ever feel like it's scary that you might not do as well as you'd like to do at it? Yes. Yeah. Why? Especially, especially like... Before games, I always—I don't know—I'm—I'm I'm always like nervous before games, and I just think in my mind that I'm not gonna do as well as like the other people. Or, yeah, yeah, cool. Cool. Well, this segment's gonna be actually super short. So, thought I'd just add you on since we we're on call and I was about to record that segment. Yeah. So, thank you. We're gonna finish off this piece of doubt, everyone. Bye. Alright, thank you for listening to another episode of Linguini's Dough. The guest in this episode is Just Son. Uh, go check out his podcast and thanks again for being on. And if you'd love to be a guest on the podcast, there'll be details in the description below that you can uh, hit me up on. If you're wondering what Linguini's Dough is, this is... Well, right now it's in a phase. But essentially what it is, is dough is a base ingredient. It can be made into bread, calzones, pizza, a bunch of other stuff. And we can make that like a topic. I can talk about really whatever. So, yeah. And then the voice actor in this video is user slash Lendry from Reddit, spelled L-E-N-D-R-Y. Go check him out if you want a reliable voice actor. And all music from this uh, podcast is from the YouTube audio library. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys on the flip side.